interrupt your special announcement to bring you this regularly scheduled programming. Darn you, Crash Bandicoot! Hey, it's Coolio, if you don't know, and it is time for yet another episode of Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM in Halifax, uh, chilly Halifax, a little bit dark. <clears throat> it is a time of year, but um, we are almost to the point where the days are not going to get any shorter. So if you can hang tight for just a couple more weeks, we'll get to that point and we will make it through but for now let us take a look at what is going on over at lowbiasgaming.net and um it's pretty quiet for the most part because jason's kind of taking a bit of a break for the most part on um longer games so here is a let's play of legend of the ghost line um he is doing this for the Low Bias Monthly of December 2019 that I hate already. Good games with bad box art. Um, I'm not really a fan of these themes that are about comparing the box art to the game because that means you have to actually go and look up the game and also he misspelled Chemco and that's pretty great. I'm gonna have to go in and fix that. But um, yeah, that's more or less what is going on there. There is also, of course, Kirby's All-Star Legend. This Sunday might be the last Sunday of, uh, of Kirby's All-Star Legend, at least for now. Um, the only games that I have left right now are about half of Battle Royale, the differences between Epic Yarn and Extra Epic Yarn, and then two Switch games that I can't record yet because there are no good Switch emulators and I don't have an HDMI capture card. So, yeah, enjoy it while you can. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm going to be done streaming. I'm going to be streaming for as long as I possibly can do so. Um, which, considering my personal situation, might not be very much longer, but, you know, enjoy it while you can. Uh, still with the uh, 365 days of the Super Nintendo No Escape, a Lethal Enforcer, uh, which is also misspelled, Tin Star and Pitfall, uh, the Mayan Adventures? Mayan Adventure, yes. And Spider-Man and Venom Maximum Carnage, I believe, yes. With the newest um, soundtrack. Anyway, time for some music. You're listening to Square Wave 70 on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax.
You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. Uh, that song was uh, composed by Lee Jackson and uh, remixed by Speedy. It is a cover of the of the song Grab Bag, which is rather synonymous with today's game from the archives. The year is 1997. Dr. Proton and his army of TechBox have taken control of Earth's largest city. Once a respected genius and scientist, Dr. Proton, he changed his name from Blunderwitz early in his career, decided he could rule Earth with a new world order. After a terrible radiation accident that altered his brain, Dr. Proton took to the underworld and developed an army of advanced robots called TechBots. The TechBots are extremely dangerous and guard Dr. Proton's secret hideout. Out. Every attempt by the military to overcome Dr. Proton ended in disaster. It seems Dr. Proton's plan to rule the Earth is well underway. Self-proclaimed hero Duke Nukem is Earth's final chance. Hired by the CIA, Duke has orders to stop Dr. Proton and rid the world of, his, of this latest madman. Armed with only his pistol and his can-do attitude, Duke is the one person who might stand a chance of success. And uh, yeah, this is Duke Nukem, uh, the original Duke Nukem, which is a platformer game for DOS, developed and published by 3D Realms, Apogee more like, but you know, and released in 1991. It is um, kind of an interesting game. It's not the best uh, platformer, but um, it was during the time where... Uh, platformers on in uh, DOS were kind of on the rise, especially ones with free scrolling in every direction, because a lot of older platformers were, you know, you would move around on the one single screen, and then the screen would change when you get to the end of it. But anyway. Uh, so yeah, apparently this was a co-op between Scarlet and Jason. I'm not really sure how that works. Um, but it's there, uh, and, uh, there are 17 episodes available on this playthrough, so check it out.
that was um, Donut Shoes with Cats from the al- from the compilation album Hip Tunes, and you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony here on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax, your home for video games, chiptunes, and all things weird and geeky. And speaking of weird, it is time now for the news of the weird. And of course, I do not read these stories ahead of time, and some of these may not jive well with all audiences, but they are scanned for objectionable content. This segment is about 13 15 minutes long. For the most part, so take that as you will. Our lead story for today, true. Anyway, on to the weather. Now, that's, um, that's what it said last week when it was broken. And this week it says, ew. David Paul Whipperman, 61, of Largo, Florida, was taken into custody November 21st in response to a road rage altercation a few weeks before the Tampa, the Tampa Bay Times reported. According to arrest reports, during the incident, Whipperman left his truck and approached a woman driving a Kia sedan. She rolled down the window and, and apologized to Whipperman, who then spit the food he was chewing into her face and some of it went into her mouth, the report said. Ick. Wow. Next, he allegedly opened her driver's side door and began screaming at her, pointing his finger in her face. He was charged in Pinellas County with fel- a felony battery and burglary of an occupied vehicle and held on $12,500 bail. I don't know about felony battery, but you know there was definitely some uncalled for situations there. Um, yeah, if, I mean, if you're going to address someone in any way, finish what you're eating first. As they would say in French, fini manger ta patate. Um, so yeah, that is a thing that occurred. But something else that occurred is someone being picky picky. Let's learn more. In Boca Raton, Florida, a robber approached a Wells Fargo bank branch teller with a very specific request on November 18th, reported WPLG. Sandy Hawkins, 73, entered the bank that morning and told the teller, This is a robbery, I have a weapon, and put his hand in his waistband to indicate a gun, according to the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office arrest report. The teller started counting out $100 bills, eventually totaling $2,000, the affidavit said, but Hawkins explained that that was too much money and he only wanted $1,100. Authorities said the teller made the the adjustment, then slid the bills through the window to Hawkins, who left the bank. When detectives caught up with him the next day, he told them, I will make this easy, and showed them a note he had written, which read, Give me $1,100. Now, no alarms. Hope to get caught. Okay. Uh, he He was booked into the Palm Beach County Jail on robbery charges. He wanted to get caught? Um, okay, I, you do you, I guess. There, there are probably better ways to do it that don't involve a bank teller getting, you know, 
frightened beyond belief. But when you're behind bars, so I guess everybody wins. Here are a couple of bright ideas for you guys. Elementary and middle school students in Bandung, Indonesia have been spending too much time with their smartphones, according to Mayor Oded Mohamed Daniel, and um, uh, who has come up with a clever dis distraction. In mid-November, authorities began distributing 2,000 baby chicks in cages with signs that read, Please take good care of me. AFP reports the students will be required to feed their pets before and after school and can keep them on school premises if they don't have space in their backyard. Daniel said the Chick Project dug, dubbed Chickenization is part of a larger endeavor by President Joko Widodo to broaden students' education. There is an aspect of discipline here, said Daniel. I mean, I guess that's an idea. Um, there's definitely too many people glued to too many screens. I know I'm certainly not an exception to that. It's usually not my smartphone. But, um, yeah, uh, having some responsibility, especially early in life, uh, something, something like this might be a good idea. Just hope the chicks make it through. And another bright idea, 8th graders in the Payadas district north of Manila in the Philippines have come up with a way to help rid city streets of dog feces and maybe even lower local construction costs. That's a combination. The bio bricks, oh boy, I see where this is going, that they've developed are made of 10% of our tit. Let's try that again. The bio bricks they've developed are made of 10 grams of poop, which the students collect and air dry, and 10 grams of cement powder, uh, Reuters reported on November 20th. The students say their bricks can be used for a sidewalk pavement or small structures such as backyard walls. They admit, they admit the bio bricks will have a faint odor, but assert that it will fade with time. You know, personally, I love the smell of just the, the rain evaporating in the summer. You know, after a light rainfall, that nice little scent that you get. And I'm not a fan of the humidity afterward. But um, I wouldn't want to experience that scent. Or that humidity, for that matter. That seems... That seems like it needs a little bit more work before going large-scale. Just my impression. Here's a compelling explanation for you guys. In Bainbridge Township, Ohio, a 60-year-old uh, man called police on October 22nd after firing two warning shots into his backyard, WOIO reported. The unnamed man told officers he was trying to scare an animal away, but when asked if it might have been a bear, he said, It ain't no mm, bear because it was jiggling my doorknob. I mean, it could still be a bear. I'm just saying. The homeowner went on to tell police the animal had to be Bigfoot because it was seven feet tall and it comes to his home every night because neighbors feed it bananas. 
He also speculated that a woman who was missing from the area was taken by the creature. However, officers found no large animal tracks in his yard and suggested he call again if he witnesses anything suspicious. And I'm sure they, they were, they stressed the point if he witnesses anything suspicious. Like if he sees it with his eyes. Just saying. How about a little bit of multitasking? Next up. As college student Morgan Taylor got her nails done in a High Point, North Carolina salon on November 20th, she was shocked when one of the nail technicians spread out a tarp on the shop floor and began butchering meat with what appeared to be a kitchen knife. I asked them what it was because seeing them just unload flesh and bones was a little bit shocking, Taylor told WFMY. They said it was deer meat and they were splitting it up between the workers to take home. It had already been skinned, they were sectioning it. Taylor reported the shop to the North Carolina Board of Cosmetic Art Examiners, which told WFMY it's, quote, inspectors have not received a complaint within memory of butchering in a cosmetic shop. It declined to comment further on the open investigation. It, I feel like there are better places to do this. Like, for instance, at home. Don't start butchering in a place where it might be construed as terrifying. People are, are generally there to relax. That is not a relaxing sight. Our next story, wait, what? Zhang Binsheng, 30, of Harbin, China, finally sought a doctor's attention after three months of struggling to breathe through his nose, Metro News reported in early November. Zhang told doc doctors at the 4th Affiliated Hospital of Harbin Medical University that he couldn't sleep and also had a uh, constant smell of decay in his nostrils. X-rays revealed Zhang had a tooth stuck in his nostril. What? Okay. The tooth, which Zhang had lost when he was 10 years old after a fall from the third floor of a mall, oh, mama, had somehow rerooted and continued to grow in his nasal cavity. It was removed in a brief surgery, and Zhang is said to be recovering. Wow. Uh. How did that happen? I'm 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 trying to imagine the logistics of this and it's making me think that I should probably not be imagining the logistics of this because oh boy let's move on to some weird science I'm sure this is going to be a lot better beware medical advice derived from Instagram we always say Oh boy. Metaphysical Megan, who boasts nearly 10,000 followers on the social media site, is advocating a new, quote, ancient Taoist uh, practice that has been around for a while. Perineum sunning. Many of you have been asking about the benefits of this practice, she writes. 30 seconds of sunlight 
<clears throat> where the sun don't shine is the equivalent of a full day of sunlight with your clothes on. She goes on to say that she has experienced energy surges, better sleep, and more creativity reports IFLScience.com along with myriad other improvements. Scientists point out that while sunlight and taking some time to relax are healthful, there is no evidence that sunlight has to be taken as a suppository. I mean, if 30 seconds down there is the same as a full day of sunlight with your clothes on, then you're probably going to get sunburned pretty fast. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Moving on, um, our last story for today, Great Art. A Japanese man who goes by the name Kiwami Japan on YouTube has chronicled his novel, his novel approach to fashioning a very personal engagement ring, the Mirror reported on October 25th. For 365 days, the man collected his fingernail clippings, which he then ground into a fine powder and mixed with water in a pan. After compressing the, the mixture, he baked it in an oven for 90 minutes, which resulted in what looked like a lump of dark clay. The substance was packed into a diamond-shaped mold and then mounted into a four-pronged silver ring, which he also made himself. The finished ring features a dull black, quote, stone. Social media followers were unimpressed, but you can't say he didn't put a little bit of himself into the ring. Oh, news of the weird. Why do you do these things? Now, this makes me think of that one episode of Mythbusters uh, where they were experimenting with different ways that were shown on uh, like places like YouTube about how to make diamonds. Of course, none of them worked, but uh, then they got to learn how to actually make diamonds, which involves large explosions. And uh, the result is a tiny little diamond that is worth about a quarter. Not a quarter of a million, 25 cents. Um, but yeah, it's functional, I guess. Um, and, can, and substantially less gross than a stone made of fingernail clippings. Anyway, that is it for the news let's take a look at the weather at this point it is currently mostly cloudy and minus one with a wind chill of minus seven it's going to be mainly cloudy tonight with light snow beginning after midnight amount of about two centimeters wind west 20 kilometers gusting to 40 becoming light this evening with a low of minus four and wind chill of minus eight overnight saturday december 7th light snow ending in the morning and then clearing amount of two centimeters Wind becoming northwest 20 kilometers gusting to 40 in the morning, high of minus 2 with a wind chill of near minus 11 and a UV index of 1 or low. And at night a few clouds, winds up to 15 kilometers, low of minus 8 and wind chill near minus 12. Sunday, December 8th, a mix of sun and cloud and a high of minus 1 going down to a low of minus 1 as well with cloudy periods overnight. Uh, Monday, December 9th, rain, 6% uh, chance of showers and a high of plus 8, going down to a low of 
plus 8 once again, and some more rain. That rain will persist uh, through Tuesday, December 10th with a high of plus 10 and a low of plus 6. Wednesday, December 11th, 60% chance of showers and a high of uh, plus 6 going down to a low of minus 5 and rain or snow, so watch out on those roads if you're on them on Wednesday. And Thursday, December 12th, 60% chance of flurries, any high of minus 3 degrees. You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. Let's get some music going, shall we?
That was multi-polyphony with ke- uh, chemical reaction. And you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And welcome back to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And today I want to talk about a game. And three of them, actually. As you'd probably expect by now. Well, usually. As you may or may not know, the PlayStation 1 celebrates its 25th anniversary these days. Seeing as, through all of my various years, the the, uh, PlayStation 1 has been the only non-Nintendo home console I've ever owned instead of its Nintendo counterpart, I figured I would take a look at a few of the more memorable games that I've played. So let's start with one of the earlier titles for the system, Crash Bandicoot. This is a 3D platformer developed by Naughty Dog, published by Universal Interactive, and released on September 9th, 1996. Dr. Neo Cortex, along with his assistant, Dr. Nitrous Brio, and Brio, get it? And Brio? is clever. Are turning the creatures of Australia into an army. They put, the ban- they put a bandicoot, who they then intend to be the army's leader, into a mind control device called the Cortex Vortex, but he breaks free and escapes. Now, he resolves to rescue Tana, his... sort of girlfriend? from his time in captivity, who's next in line for experimentation. So let's start with the presentation, keeping in mind that this is early 3D and presented in a very cartoony style, the graphics are very colorful and kind of weird. Everything is pretty chunky, which isn't uncommon for this console in general, much less the er- this uh, earlier period. And it's still in the exploration and discovery period of what 3D home consoles and 3D platforming can do. Keep in mind that this game is still even older than the Nintendo 64, so they didn't have that back and forth competition in full swing yet. The sounds are pretty crisp, though they can get a little obnoxious. And the music, meanwhile, is very background and forgettable. Like, I... I can kind of hum the title theme, but that's about the best that I can do. As for the gameplay, oh boy, even if you're not trying to 100% this thing, get ready for a trip. For the most part, this game has Crash moving forward into the camera, which always stays at a stationary angle. This can make it hard to determine his relative position to the world, making precision platforming a little hard, and there is a fair amount of it, especially closer to the end. It also makes it hard to see certain enemies in front of Crash, leading to getting blindsided out of nowhere. On top of everything, in order to 100% a level and get its gem, uh, which all the gems, by the way, are required to get the best ending, Crash must hit every box in that level without dying, which in some levels means walking into the camera in some points, a prospect considerably more dangerous than the opposite, as the player effectively has to blindly move backward. And on top of that, there are colored gems, in which case you have to go to a future level, get the colored gem, then go back to the previous level where you missed some boxes, go with the color gem, uh, destroy the boxes, and then wonder where is the one box 
that you weren't able to find. It's great. Um, fortunately, the sequels, as well as the remake in the uh, Insane Trilogy, fix some of the bigger problems, but the game is still very hard in those cases. All in all, it's definitely an interesting experience, but be warned that no matter how you end up playing this game, you're probably going to get angry at it. It is difficult and unforgiving. I won't go so far as to say it's just not fun at all, but it is definitely not for the lighthearted. Next, let's move on to Tumba. This is a pseudo-3D platformer developed by Whoopi Camp, published worldwide by Sony Computer Entertainment, and released in North America on July 16, 1998. Tomba's golden bracelet, gifted to him by his grandfather, was stolen by the Coma Pigs, who are hoarding all of the gold that they can find throughout the land in a quest for world domination. Tomba thus takes it upon himself to beat up those mean pigs in their plot and get his grandfather's bracelet back. So first, the presentation. The graphics are basically a mix of 2D sprites and a 3D environment, which wasn't uncommon at the time and has a certain charm to it that I like at the very least. Again, everything is pretty colorful and the environments all look how they should look. The music and sound uh, game is pretty strong as well and I can still hum a, hand a handful of the tracks in this game despite not having played it for a while. I did check out a video while I was writing this, so um, I'm not completely um, amnesic about this game, let's say. And I've also let's played it twice, which helps. The gameplay here is also mostly pretty simple, if one is just playing casually. Uh, most interactions are started by Tumba jumping on whatever he wants to grab, then jumping again to either collect or throw it depending on what it is. However, that's not the extent of the game. Naturally, this game has a multitude of different quests. Collect the items, uh, learn languages, destroy the things, save the world, and even more. However, it is important to be careful with a few of them. I can think of one in particular which, despite having LP'd the game twice, I managed to miss out on both times. If I say Spike Barrel, anyone who has played this game will probably know what I'm talking about. Everyone else, there is a spiked barrel at one point from which Toma needs to remove the spikes by hitting it with his weapon, after which he can push the barrel into the water. But if he hits it too many times, he will break the barrel and it doesn't come back. If the barrel flies off in the wrong direction, it probably doesn't come back either. Not cool game, especially considering that a Tomba 1 save can be imported into Tomba 2 for additional content based on completion rate, so anything that you don't get might prevent you from getting all of that extra content. Still, Tomba is a generally pretty fun game. I've gotten lost in it several times, but I will still say it's pretty fun. The biggest drawback that I can think of is that it's very hard to find, and I wouldn't be surprised if the rights to it were in limbo somewhere, so it's unlikely we'll see it crop up again, neither as a sequel or any sort of re-release. But if you can find it out in the wild, give it a go. It's a hidden gem worth playing. Finally, the RPG I probably remember playing the most back in the day, I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Of course, it is going to be Legend of the Gaia. Okay, maybe you didn't know which one I was talking about. 
This was developed by Procyon and Contrail, published by Sony and released in North America on March 17, 1999. People all over Lagaya rely on special stones called Seru to enhance their abilities and create magnificent works. However, a strange mist has rolled in, uh, turning all people wielding Seru into demons. A person named Vaughn is called to his town's nearly dead genesis tree, where he meets a special raw Seru not affected by the mist, who is able to revive this tree pushing the mist back. It's thus up to him as well as two other people chosen by raw Seru to revive all of the world's genesis trees and find and destroy the source of the mist to return the world to normal. The presentation in general will seem pretty familiar in style as, J as far as JRPGs go for this era. One thing that I will note is that the environments are in 3D here, which was still a fairly new thing for this sort of game where environments would often be pre-rendered to save space and also partly to improve visual quality. Not to say that it looks bad, in fact it looks pretty decent honestly. The sound and music here are alright, not exceptionally good, but there's nothing really terrible about it. It doesn't really stand out in any way. There are also some weird voice clips here and there, I suppose. The game isn't gen generally voice acted, but there are voice clips during battle. And really, the battle system is what sets this game apart. Attacks are composed of up, down, left, and right commands. Entering certain combinations will result in special moves called arts being performed, though those cost AP. The positions of both enemies and allies on the, in the battlefield are tracked, as well, which can matter for air, for a certain area of effect attacks. Also, when fighting Seru, there are uh, there is a chance that the raw Seru of the person inflicting the finishing blow will absorb that Seru, and be able to use it in future battles, sort of like magic. The more they're used, the more they level up as well. This, of course, means that everyone can be any sort of fighter. Naturally, there will be a character better suited for casting, but in the end, any of the three playable characters can do it. Other than that, Legend of the Gaia is a pretty decent game. It's by no means a blockbuster, but it does have some innovative mechanics and interesting storylines. I'd suggest treating this game sort of like how readers would treat their book queue. It's not like it's not one that you need to play right now, but it's one worth putting in your queue and spending some time with it. And that's it for today. You might think that this was a weird selection and I could, probably could have gone with more popular games like Final Fantasy VII, Spyro the Dragon, Azure Dream, Symphony of the Night, or a number of others, but I mean, it only does everything. What else can it do? You're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And let's get some music going.
that was SBR Dempa with AC Shining Force Cross, and you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU 88.1 FM Halifax. And I've found a thing. Yes, I've found a thing, and I'll share that thing with you in a segment that I like to call I Found a Thing. Uh, there were a lot of pop stars back in the 90s. Uh, let's see, you had, uh, just as an example, Santana, Ricky Martin, you had Counting Crows, you had, I don't know, Cher, Aerosmith. But there is one that kind of stands out as interesting that I wanted to, uh, show off today, which was, um, Scatman John. And, um... He, he had a very distinctive style of music um, where he would that sort of thing. If you, if you want to get a better idea, go look for uh, the song I'm the Scott Man. Anyway, there is an article here on a site called Ledger Note about how Scott Man John stuttered his way to stardom. And this was written by Jared H. This is a Jared H. But anyway, uh, I'm not going to read this entire thing, but um, here's some of it. If there was ever an inspirational story, the story of Scatman John as told through his own lyrics fits the bill. Everybody said it's one way or the other, so check out the message to you. As a matter of fact, you'll let nothing hold you back. If Scatman can do it, so can you. Um, so yeah, uh, his early life, the Scotman was born as John Paul Larkin on March 13, 1942 in El, in El Monte, California. Like many of us, John grew and began to speak. As John grew and began to speak, it became obvious that his parents, that to his parents that he would experience the difficulty of navigating childhood with a speech impediment. John's specific situation, uh, centered around a debilitating stutter. Uh, lots of talk here about the fact that he hid behind the piano uh, when he was performing because he was scared of talking. Which, I mean, when you live with a stutter, especially for your entire life as a child, you get ostracized. It's not fun. But um, eventually he looked to some people. Um, young John discovered the piano and jazz at age 12, and as he continued to explore this new vista, he, he found inspiration in the music of Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong and their usage of scat singing. As John grew into an adult, he, he hit the, ja the jazz scene all throughout Los Angeles, earning his living through the 70s and 80s as a pro jazz pianist, even re uh, releasing an early rare record called John Larkin. Um, let me just skip ahead a little bit here. John Larkin decided to take a big leap, and in 1990, he bailed on, on uh, California to join the jazz scene of Berlin, Germany. After putting his uh, something on a shopping block and singing a, a cover of the song on the sunny side of the street, John was floored to receive a standing ovation. Taking into consideration his lifelong battle with insecurity surrounding his voice, this was a huge moment for him, one that would change everything. John's agent liked this new John, and uh, the John that was singing and scatting like it didn't matter. Uh, dollar signs flashed in his eyes, 
and the cogs started turning. Before long, it all clicked into place, and the manager pitched to John the idea of combining his scat repertoire with the booming dance theme. John was iffy, but his label BMG Hamburg insisted that they give it a shot. Understandably, it came to light that uh, John's resistance was based on a fear that the listeners may realize he had a stutter even if they ensured that the recordings were flawless. His wife suggested that he just throw it out there in the lyrics and let it be what it is. Did it work? You darn tootin' it did! He hit the studio in late 1994 with two popular uh, dance producers in the area and pumped out his first track called Scatman Ski Bop 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 uh, Ba Dop Bop. Uh, there is a video in this article, but I'm not going to be playing it. That song is a hit, and we can't play it on CKDU unless we have a very specific reason to. Uh, less than a year later, Scatman John was a worldwide ph phenomenon, uh, and he charted in several countries reaching number one, and also was super crazy in Japan for a while. Um, yeah. They kind of stick to something and go hog wild with it sometimes. Anyway, uh, I would go further into this story, but I am running out of time, so I will leave a uh, link to the story, of course, in the podcast chapters. Uh, you can check it out there. And uh, you're listening to Square Wave Symphony on CKDU, 88.1 FM Halifax.
And that song was The Fursuit of Chippiness by Cliphead from the compilation album Chip Love Volume 1. Very powerful message behind that uh, behind that um, compilation album, and you should go check it out. But that brings us to the end of this episode. As, as usual, I hope that you enjoyed it. I enjoyed making it for you, even if it was a little rushed. Uh, I didn't quite get everything ready that I wanted to get ready, but sometimes as the way it happens we just roll with it and bring you another episode and hopefully it was fun for you um but yeah just keep in mind based on that last story that i um that i shared with you if the scott man could do it so can you and if i can do it you can too um so yeah Time to get going with the credits. Square Wave Symphony is based on the format of the Electric Leftovers podcast by Jason Parton of Low Bias Gaming, lowbiasgaming.net. News of the Weird is written by the editors at Andrews McNeil Syndication, newsoftheweird.com. Segment music composed by myself, Madame Namiki, Noriki Kimikura, Twilight of Defect, Nifless Pink Projects, and Commissar. Stay tuned for the Astrology Show coming up next on CKDU, followed by The Witching Hour at 7pm, and press start to continue at 830 Comments, questions, want your chiptunes featured on the show? Email me at squaresim at lowbiasgaming.net or get in touch on Twitter at squaresim, S-Y-M. You can also call the CKDU feedback line at 902-494-8041. There's also a podcast version of this show. It's available on lowbiasgaming.net slash squaresim or just search for Square Wave Symphony. Square Wave is one word. On Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or TuneIn Radio, or pretty much whatever app that you use. Well, maybe not every app but most of them it'll be there this has been square wave symphony on ckdu 88.1 fm halifax i'm coolio if you don't know and i'll see you guys next time Oh, 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 oh,